Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You know, Jimmy, I thought I had averted the, um, the podcaster's curse by moving to a fourth-floor apartment. You know the podcaster's curse where, like, the moment you start recording, someone starts cutting the grass outside your window? Right, yes, yes. Today, I woke up, and there was a man outside my window. Oh. And I live on the fourth floor. There, oh, I know. terrifying. There, was it Spider-Man? It was, no, that would have been much better. Um, <sighs> they're cleaning out the dryer vents in my building. Um, mm. So, you know, if you hear in the background, <laughs> it's so my apartment doesn't burn down. Yes. Well, oh, there great. it is. Or it. It's Spider-Man. Did you hear it? Probably not. That's usually how these I things go. I probably didn't. They're high-quality <laughs> microphones, which is great. Yeah, I know. I, they say that all the time, and I'm like, I can't. I'd be like, I can't hear it. And then that's all you're listening for. You're no right. longer listening to the content. But exactly. Hey, um, well, the other morning, I woke up to someone vomiting. Oh. Outside. So outside. That was really nice. On your window? Outside. That sounds more terrifying. No, thankfully. <laughs> it was on the street. But it was echoey. Um, echoey vomit. Welcome to the podcast. Will somebody get us another drink? Welcome to Jim and Tomic's Musical Theater Happy Hour. I'm Tommy. And I'm Jimmy. And this is the only musical theater podcast with boxed steps and boxed wine. Here, we take apart your favorite shows, muddle them together with a shot of buffoonery, and pour you a refreshing glass of musical theater conversation. What are you drinking today, Jimmy? Well, I am drinking a large bottle of ketchup. And, ooh, it's just too sweet. <laughs> Sounds disgusting. Why? <laughs> Doesn't it? Um, well, I have a quiz question that will answer that. Oh, I'm so excited. Tommy, to are it. you listening? I am listening. Okay. During the filming of the movie that this musical is based on, a jilted lighting operator intentionally attempted to drop a lighting instrument on one of the young actresses in an attempt at revenge for his own daughter not being cast in the role. What <gasps> show? The drama. Jimmy, I think it's Meet Me in St. Louis.
Bowie is a 1944 Freed Unit MGM film. Have we done... Yes. Did we do Singing in the Rain? Have we done any other... We've done Singing in the Rain. We've done 42nd Street. I feel like we've done one more. A couple other movie, movie musicals. Um, or started Guys and Dolls, which count Guys and Dolls? No, that started as a stage one. So this it is did. maybe one of the few famous musicals that I think is much more well known for its movie version than it is known for its stage version. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, proper singing in the rain treatment. Absolutely. They, they walk hand in hand um, because the film, in many ways, just as big. Yes, and wildly, wildly popular and well reviewed. Um, you know, people love this movie. You like this movie. The, you told me this I, was one I of do. your favorite movies at one point. Yeah, so I've watched it um, almost every year with my mum at Christmas time when it's on the TV. Isn't that cute? That is cute. How cute am I? That's um, <laughs> and of course, this is the film that gave us Liza Minnelli. I know. It was directed by Vincent Minnelli, and of course, Judy Garland was in it, and then they met, and then they gave us Liza Minnelli, and then Vincent Minnelli decided he was gay. Well, you know, <laughs> it's more complicated than that. But It's what happens when Liza Minnelli comes into the world. Well, and like, you know, of course... Anyone within a like 10 mile radius becomes a homosexual man. Right? Of course, Judy Garland's husband was a gay man too, right? Like, this doesn't... Yeah, of does this surprise anyone? Uh, <laughs> no, not at all. Um, and then we were blessed with a stage musical adaptation, which appeared on Broadway in 1989, uh, with songs by the same writers who wrote for the film, Hugh Martin and Ralph Blaine. Which is absolutely crazy. And I don't think, mm-hmm. I can't think of off the top of my head a like similarly distanced adaptation gap where the writers came back in. Maybe Mary Poppins with, I don't know how involved the Sherman brothers with the, were with the new adaptation. I think less yeah, so. I don't know either. Um, but yeah, that is crazy. And I think <laughs> might be, might lead to uh, some of the future problems we're going to discuss with the stage adaptation. Uh, um, well, so, you know, what happens when you're 90 and writing a musical? I know. Um, and it also came with a book by Mr. Hugh Wheeler, Mr. which we will know from... Uh, a little night music, indeed. Mm-hmm. Uh, a bunch of stuff, bunch of Sweeney Todd, Sweeney Todd, um, and you know, good books. And then there's Meet Me in St. Louis. Um, yes, take note, take note of all these facts, <laughs> ladies and gents. I, I did discover earlier today, Jimmy, and it's not mm-hmm. worth talking about it in extent at all. But there were mm-hmm. actually two in between. Uh, television adaptations of Meet Me in St. Louis. Um, yes. One in maybe the late 50s and one in the early 60s. I think it was, yeah, I, I think I've seen the 66 one or in the 60s anyway. Something like that. And I couldn't find yeah. information. Some people called it a one-off television show. Some people called it a pilot for a um, like prolonged television show. Yes. But do you know my favorite thing about it, Jimmy? Yes, please tell me. In both the television movie and yeah. whatever this pilot was. It was 59 yeah. and 66. The cook is played by uh, Retta Shaw, who you probably don't know her by name, but she's also the cook in Mary Poppins, yes. the original movie, and was in a television show called The Ghost and Mrs. Murr, where she also played the housekeeper. Oh, talk about typecasting. Is, but also, yeah. I just feel like, look at her, she could be anything. I She's so iconic. From I remember watching Mary Poppins when I was like three and just looking at her and being like, 
you could easily be my gran and I'd be so happy about that. Absolutely. But also clearly everyone looks at her and is like, aha, you will be the cook for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you will be ser- in servitude forever. <laughs> or she was just so iconic. Yes. In, in Mimi and St. Louis. That, yeah. That they what were like, first? Mary Poppins or Mimi and St. Louis? Mimi and St. Louis. The, the TV adaptation came out in 59 uh, and Poppins wow. was 64. Well, there you go. That's it. She was just so iconic that uh, they were like, yeah, this is you. You've done it. Yeah. You know, cash it in while you can. Absolutely. <laughs> where is she now? Um, now, Tommy, I, before we get started, I want you to tell me a little bit your, about your relationship with the show. Like, uh, why, why have we chosen Meet Me in St. Louis? Well, because you hate me. Um, no. <laughs> we did the... <laughs> we just need... that. You need this, I think. Uh, the school I work for, and I adore the school I work for, and I adore all the people I work with, we did the stage adaptation of Meet Me in St. Louis uh, this previous year. And I think it's a relatively popular high school show. I have mm-hmm. certainly waded my way through a fair share of recordings of other high schools doing this show. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> We'll we'll get into it, but so I designed exactly. The I think one of the the most difficult things about this show is like it has a a, a movie set, and that is a <laughs> really difficult thing to translate the stage to the stage under the best of circumstances. Yeah, much less under high school budgeting and time budgeting circumstances. Exactly. Like this isn't you know an Arthur Miller one room drama. Yeah, no, it is um, inside and outside <laughs> of a Victorian mansion in turn of the century St. Louis, plus a trolley, plus a ballroom. Yeah, oh, yeah, the trolley's man. the one because also it's it's not just any old trolley. It's like one of the most iconic trolleys yeah. in existence. But also so is just on you. stage for uh, maybe seven minutes. Yes. Hooray! So, I, anyway, I'm not bitter. Our show was great. Our show was great. The kids did a great job, and I never need to do it again. Um, I don't doubt that for a second. But yes, <laughs> I think our aim for this can be by the end of the podcast, we both uh, claim that Meet Me in St. Louis is one of our favorite musicals of all time. All right. You you set let's, that goal for yourself. Let's see how we go. <laughs> Aspirations. So what's, um, what's the show about, Jimmy? <laughs> okay, well, the show, I mean, to be honest, it's quite a simple show. Yeah. Uh, we thought after Ghost Quartet last week, why don't we just do something that's a lot less tricky to comprehend? Um, basically, we follow the Smith family, um, who are turn of the century, um, quite well off, yeah. uh, middle class, I would get, like middle class, you'd say that, um, family, uh, who are basically just kind of living their lives. Mm-hmm. The main characters are obviously Mr. and Mrs. Smith. The, the mother and father, um, and then their four daughters. Uh, very Pride and Prejudice. Very Pride and Prejudice. Very Pride and Prejudice. And basically we see, uh, yeah, a year in their life um, as it approaches the, what's it called? The, the Great Pan-American Exhibition? The, what was it called? Is this one the, the Louisiana Purchase Exposition? It was one of the Great. world's fairs that hit America around turn of the last century. Um, the, the big selling item of this, like, 1904 event yep. um, was it was the first time electric lights were lit outside. Yes, indeed. Ooh. I know. I know. And... 
boy, howdy, do they react to that yeah. in the cast recording. Uh, <laughs> but boy, howdy. Most of the show centers around um, the romantic escapades of the, I would say, the two older daughters of the Smith family. The boys they're in love with and not in love with, and how their relationship with their family both helps and hinders those relationships. And then there's also a bit of peril. They might need to move away. Yes, Um, to New York, because Alonzo, the father, has been transferred, and he's excited about it, but no one else is. And, of course, they're not going to see the fair. The fair, which, like, for... For being the one of the titular pieces of this show, does not have a lot to do with this show. It really does. It's it's the it's the great comet of eighteen twelve. Exactly. Yes, it is a great comet, and it lights up, and they all go. Ooh, and it lights end. up. And they all go. Ooh. Oh my god! There's something in that. And we'll go back. We'll, we'll do another comet podcast. Oh god! We've already done so many. Um, <laughs> At its core, this is a, 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 a musical about family life in turn-of-the-century America. Exactly. It's um, very sweet. And All right, shall we talk about the film? Yes. The good bit. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Make the Yuletide gay. Next year Well, first things first. So, obviously, like I said, I, I watched this almost every year with my mum mm-hmm. um, at Christmas time. Yes, it, it ain't a Christmas film. It isn't a Christmas film. It's kind of, and I think even the stage musical exemplifies this a little more. The film is very much bookmarked around seasons. Um, yeah, and that kind of translates to holidays, but really Halloween and Christmas. Um, but it is kind of a seasonal holiday film not in like yeah. holiday christmas but holiday like the holiday like all holiday yeah exactly um i just think i think the reason why because i do associate it with christmas and i think a lot of people probably would too mm-hmm. um is obviously because of one of the most iconic songs ever have yourself a merry little christmas um yes. perhaps one of the most popular songs in existence but potentially like it will always be on the top 10 Christmas songs list. For sure. Um, and I think, like, I, I always think some of the um, longest stalwarts of just, like, popular, I don't know if I want to pigeonhole it to Americana, but e- English-speaking mm. language songs will be centered around Christmas because yeah. they have, like, an intrinsic replayability value um, that exactly. not a lot of other pop songs have. Um, yep. You can trot it out every year without much of an excuse. Mm-hmm. without it being a throwback without it and so have yourself a merry little christmas you know everyone has covered this song absolutely from but very much yeah in in the way of mac the knife in the Thirteen opera yeah i don't think everyone 
would know it's from Meet Me in St. Louis. That's fair. And even more so, like, you know, Frank Sinatra has covered this song, but Sam Smith has covered this song. Uh, yeah, exactly. And, like, I don't think Sam Smith is biting at, is chomping at the bit to cover Mac the Knife. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he, unless he does a gaga and takes a jazz turn. <laughs> I agree. Oh, man. But, yeah, from written for and from the movie Meet Me in St. Louis. Um, exactly and this is in this time period when this like this was the musicals this is what movie musicals did um Mm -hmm. there was a period in time when like movie studios this is complex history but it, it started around the like uh uh Hollywood censorship revolution and yes. they started having ratings for movies and when they broke up all the movie studios um, and said the movie studios can't own the theaters anymore and can't have those monopolies anymore and studios started making a bunch a, a lot less money than they expected to and mm-hmm. so started exploring other lines of revenue um, in a way to like bring in more money and one of the mm-hmm. ways they figured out they could do that is by selling the soundtrack to exactly. a movie and so yep. you can only sell a soundtrack if it has good songs um yep. and so they started writing good you know like the freed unit exists yeah. because of this exactly and obviously we, we talked about this a bit in the singing in the rain podcast mm-hmm. but um you know we know that arthur freed himself mm-hmm. is a big music buff yes he is a writer of music. Absolutely. You know? And actually, and uh, sings in Meet Me in St. Louis. He is the ghost he does. for uh, Alonzo when they sing yes. um, whatever that husband-wife song is. The uh, one about love. The one about love. And I can never remember because it's one of the ones that gets immediately cut. You and I, that one. Yes. Is that even in... Nope. No, never, it's not in the Never musical. made it to the stage version. It's replaced yeah. with a bunch of other songs. Um, about love. <laughs> oh, about something. Um, yes uh, but yeah exactly so i think you know with the freed unit he certainly knew what he was doing with these yes. musical films yes um and i think was just given such a gift with have yourself a merry little christmas um yeah and then maybe the trolley song i mean there you know the the core the core judy garland songs in this the trolley song have yourself a merry little christmas the boy next door over the banister mm-hmm. like they are solid good songs um they are they definitely are but i just mean in terms of like iconic oh yes yes you know although admittedly i know the trolley song because of the simpsons again it's one of those that's fair i knew that i knew the trolley song far before i knew it was in meet me in st louis um, yes uh-huh and you know and like hard to trace why but these these songs are catchy and i think it is it is like the success of the film and as maybe we'll talk later the downfall of the stage play um but like a good a good pop song is immediately removable from its context um a good pop song in a musical is immediately removable from its context and still maintains meaning um yes but that means when you start messing with the structure the pop songs seem really superfluous um exactly like have yourself a merry little christmas certainly does wonderful things to like explode and delve into complex character difficulties that you know these sisters are having at the end of the show contemplating moving Mm -hmm. to new york and like Mm -hmm. things things are terrible but we'll muddle through somehow and we have each other now and all these things but does nothing to advance the plot the actual plot zero exactly like you could cut Um, that out and the the whole story's the same mm mm-hmm and I feel like certainly at that time, nineteen forty four, we're not we're not yet in the uh post Oklahoma world of 
deep book musicals. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, this is still something as a musical theatre, as a genre, mm-hmm. we're getting to grips with. Yes. Um, so, you know, it's not necessarily something we're expecting. Right. Um, but I agree with you. I think that the reason that they exist, mm-hmm. or particularly Christmas, um, is because, like you say, it will sell records yes it will sell records and it's why you hear the same christmas songs over and over again and i think it's actually really hard to kind of um you know pull an all i want for christmas is you like burst onto the scene with a new christmas song that Mm -hmm. takes the zeitgeist by storm and you know Mm kind of latches onto that like you don't that is hard to do because it is such a saturated market at this point totally um Whereas I feel like this kind of just, it really laid the foundation. Because if you think of, like, We Need a Little Christmas mm-hmm. or um, White Christmas. Yeah. You know, it's, yes, sure, they're iconic, but I don't know. There's just something about this song yeah. that is really extra special. Yeah, it is a, it is a beautiful song. And there's something yeah. about, and it's certainly... You know, this is the the controversy. I think controversy is a harsh word for it, but like there have been uh, important lyrical changes to "Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas" through time. Um, Indeed, mostly through the from the this the Judy Garland version from the movie to Frank Sinatra's recording. Um, yep, and the Frank Sinatra recording kind of makes it a little happier, um, mm-hmm. and uh, it certainly makes the lyrics a little happier. But something about the like. melancholy of the song of the the melody still remains and you don't get a lot of that (coughs) in christmas songs they're either like you know like up tempo bops about like how excited we are for christmas or or down tempo spirituals about how excited we are for jesus to be born Um, yeah you don't get a lot of like down tempo you know we appreciate our family and christmas can be a sad time sort of song and like that exactly i think captures the consciousness of people a lot definitely it is it feels just really cozy yeah well and i i think that's something about this show too and its exploration of like what family means and what family Mm. is and there is you know we it's something that actually comes up in educational circles a lot um about watching out for kids over holiday times and things because yeah your, your default is always to like wish people a happy holidays and like you know have a great vacation you're gonna enjoy this great break it's gonna be so fun and like the the you know, there is a reminder, I think, in educational circles and other circles, too, that, like, some some kids don't like spending weeks on end with their parents. Some families yeah. are, you know, struggle or have problems. And this isn't, you know, Christmas can be a very sad time for lots of mm. people because of, like, how happy it's supposed to be. Like, that, exactly. that Hallmark holiday implication of it all and have yourself yep. a merry little christmas does a in conjunction with this show i think does a really good job of kind of encapsulating both those possibilities yeah i completely agree um so what do you think about so let's if we take christmas and trolley song mm-hmm. um if you took them out of the film yeah this where is, do you think the film stands i 
I think it would still be a relatively popular film for its time. Um, it's, you know, it's stunningly beautiful. If you haven't watched this film, it's worth it just to put it on in the background and just look at it because it is yeah. pretty. Yeah, that's really true. Yeah, I don't think it is. There are parts of it that are kind of cinematically stunning. And even things like the trolley song for its time was technically stunning. Like mm. a, a moving multi-person vehicle that just feels like it is with people singing in sync to a, a click track. Um, not a click track, but probably a sync track or dubbed in mm-hmm. later. Um like that's already impressive and that they just did it kind of seamlessly in the forties is really cool. Um, I think the, the music specifically in this is really an interesting thing to, because a lot of the music wasn't written for this show. (laughs) You know, a lot of it is like bordering on what we might call traditional music. Um, yeah, completely. Some of it is out and out traditional music, just, you know, Old Lang Syne and the first Noel and some other stuff. But even things like the theme, Meet Me in St. Louis, is a song about the Louisiana Purchase Exposition in 1904 yep. and would be sung like the characters sing it in the show. Um, yep. You know, Under the Bamboo Tree, which we should talk about later. Um, we absolutely will. Also from the time, um, you know, a bunch of. Yeah, exactly. Like just out and out traditional songs. A lot of the diegetic songs are songs that these characters would just sing in this time period. Totally. Which is an interesting, you know, this is not a musical that would have come out this, like, shook out this way in 2019 because we don't do this anymore um Mm -hmm. we don't combine freshly written songs with like a a haphazard assortment of other songs um you know like kind of written for the show kind of not maybe stolen for other shows there's a cut song that i can't uh boys and girls like you and me um, yeah which it did not make was cut from the film um but was originally written for oklahoma and was cut for yeah. oklahoma um and like who yeah i think it replaced people will say we're in love mm, that makes sense um yeah. and like that's also just missing but like this was the thing that happened a lot in the forties and fifties of like songs written for other shows showing up in different shows. Mm -hmm. Um, which I think, you know, the music in this is all over the place, but this is a time where like, that was just the standard. There was no like through line or thematic elements. Um, and I guess I should give it more credit than that. If you watch the movie and re-listen to the underscoring, it is very intentionally scored. Like they, Mm. um, you know, bring back a bunch of different themes when it relates to the, you know, the characters or the content of the show. Like it's intentional, certainly. Um, but in a different kind of way than I think we're used to with contemporary musical theater. Yeah. I completely, completely and utterly agree. And even, you know, with films. And I, I would say, like, because if, if you compare it to something like Singing in the Rain, if we're talking like MGM, yeah. um, I also just think it sticks just sticks out because yes. it, the songs, they just, they all, to me, they all feel diegetic, yes. even though they're not necessarily. Yeah. They all do. Yeah, there's a sense um, of that. Whereas... Singing in the rain it is. I mean, obviously, you've got Gene Kelly there tap dancing away, and the, the you know the dance element is much more integral to yeah. that. Yeah, um, and that heightens everything a bit more. Whereas this feels like 
to me, it just feels a bit like Gone with the Wind. Yeah. And I will say, in, I think Singing in the Rain is a good comparison, or an interesting mm. comparison, because no one, there is no non-diegetic dancing in this movie, for example. Yes. If people completely. are dancing in this movie, it's because they're dancing in real life. Not because yeah. they've reached the point where they can no longer sing Good Morning, and now they have to knock over a couch. Um, yes. And that gives it a really different flavor that I think people have very much latched on to over the years completely and I, I that's the thing for me i think that makes it stand the test of time because it doesn't feel like you're sitting down to watch a musical yeah do you well, know what i mean and there are people who hate them yeah and like the 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 screenplay you know what would be the book of the movie is, mm-hmm. is good and clever and funny um yep. you know judy garland this is i think one of the best judy garland performances bar none oh, yeah, um you know, and like things, I, I rewatched it recently, and like she has just some of these. I kind of peg Judy Garland as like certainly a great actress and a beautiful singer, and like can carry a lot of herself on her, you know, 1940s beauty and like her singing voice. But yeah. she has some just beautiful subtextual, non verbal acting moments in this movie. <laughs> Um, that like you totally don't aren't looking for because you've pegged this as a 1940s musical. We're like, who really cares? Um, yeah. But she's got some moments with with John Truitt where like he's you know bumbling through and like you smell like my grandmother and you've got an awfully fine grip for a girl where she mm-hmm. has this like you know wonderful subtextual moment of like I want to smile and you know make you still think I like you but like that was a terrible thing to say to me and I don't know how to react yes. to that and like with her eyes and her face. Um, yeah completely when he kisses her yes i always think that's a really big moment because it's it's the shock because it is it's very much a like i'm kissing you bitch that you know right. we would know of that time period where that's yeah. totally fine um but she reacts to it as if to say what the hell have you just done yeah. i mean i liked it but my goodness right you know what i mean yeah. there's, how, that, how there's that whole vibe yeah and we're talking like and like you say it's a split second yeah. with her eyes yeah not written in not you know yeah um so it's fascinating. When he jumps back on the trolley. Mm-hmm. And she, and, well, and also, even at the very end of the trolley song. Um, yes. And, like, she, you know, she's looking at him. She's making, you know, Google eyes at him. But then there's this moment, like, right before it starts to fade to black where she, like, kind of looks away and, like, contemplates things a, a little bit and then looks at him yep. again and is like, oh, hi. Yep. Oh, you're still here. Oh, hi. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, oh, wow. What weird feelings I'm having. Um, yeah. Which is, like unnecessary for the pure uh, content of this show exactly which is nothing but fluff and romance and you know uh idle dawdling um yeah and that and is I doubt, a thing that elevates it i think completely and i doubt like that that's come from vincent Manelli. i think that has really come from her and that is just that is why i think it, it just elevates it so much yeah and why the movie is so good yeah absolutely because she's there. And then do you know what happened, Jimmy? She went away. <laughs> Someone had the bright idea to turn it into a stage musical. Yes, they...
Well, who had that bright idea, Tommy? Oh, God, I don't even know. Um, I also don't know, and I've kind of yet to see... I, I've i yet to find who whose brainchild it was. I want a making of of this, because... Um, which maybe we'll talk in more detail. Um, there's a bunch of different versions of this show now, um, because the original one didn't do too well, and then they kind of mm-hmm. tried to fix it, and I think did a, a, a surprisingly decent job of like show doctoring the show for a licensable version. Um, but it's got like new songs, um, mm-hmm. and as far as I can tell, like new new songs, not songs that are from somewhere else. But like the show came out the broadway show came like premiered on broadway in 1989 yep hugh wheeler died in 1987 so yeah like who's who's writing this ralph blaine was also dead like, martin was still alive so but i don't know what if he was writing at that time because he would have been like 95 yeah, he would have been so old so like someone else or someone's else are like yep. figuring or trying to sort this thing through. Um, yep. And there's no, like when I've encountered that sort of thing in other contexts, there's some buried variety article about like, Oh yes, they called this show doctor in and Oh, they borrowed this song from here. And now that so-and-so is not a part of the project, someone else is on it. It's yep. nowhere to be found. It's like nope. people don't care enough about this show to have written that sort of stuff. Exactly. And so it's just kind of lost. Do you not find this so frustrating as, as someone who is effectively like a, a journalist? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, it's so frustrating when this information doesn't exist. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And it's, there isn't, there's no, you know, we can't go into the letters that were sent between the production company right. and Hugh Martin. Yeah. They don't exist anywhere. It's it's really frustrating, I yeah. think, because so many origin stories to yeah. these shows have big question marks on them. Yeah. And I think for this one, I'm asking so many questions. Yeah. Um the only the only thing I can think where someone was like, hang on, this might be a good idea. It is because 42nd Street came out and won the Tony. Mm-hmm. And this seems so, kind of like that. In in the sense that it's an MGM classic to Broadway. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But in in many ways, they just couldn't be more different. No. Because yeah. 42nd Street is fluff. is And is, is big and flashy and... Exactly. You, you know, know, and to, I, I feel like it worked on the stage i know you slightly disagree I, but i think it worked better than meet me in st louis yes exactly um so i don't know why they were like this is what we need like you know where is this the remedy that we need for the andrew lloyd weber right thing that's going on right now like what what was going on i know well and so oh so Jimmy hadn't listened to the cast album for this show until recently. They yes. they added, let me count them. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, maybe about eleven songs from mm-hmm. that weren't in the movie to the stage adaptation. And every single one of them is terrible. Ever. Do I agree with that? Potentially. I definitely agree with a, a lot of it. Yeah? Now, okay, the one that you hate. 
<laughs> I know you hate. Yes. Is the banjo. Oh, uh, very in in the in the Broadway version, the song yes. is called Banjos. Banjos, yeah. In the published libretto, the song is called The Banjo. Yes. Why this change was made is lost to history. They also moved the song from the middle of Act 1 to the end of Act 2, which actually makes yes. better sense. Um, banjos yes, I think it's much better placement. In, in the Broadway, and I, we'll put in the show notes, I sent Jimmy a kind of crazy person threadboard that explains how these songs were rearranged between the different yeah. versions. Uh, Again, if you think Ghost Quartet was complicated, good luck. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. But so, if you know the movie banjos in the broadway version originally happened around the skip to my loo under the bamboo tree party um Mm -hmm. which was another song that all the kids danced to they when they reworked the show whenever they did that they move it to be a part of the uh christmas party um to have a big ending number for that moment yes um the the plot to this song, Jimmy. Well, you listened to it recently. Could you try to explain to me what the point is? What the what the what the thesis of banjos of the, is? The banjo. Yeah. Um. So, th- really, what I would say is it's a, a complete think piece um, about <laughs> uh, about the idea that when I play my banjo, okay, when uh-huh. or when, for example, the banjo is played, right, uh, if you will. Um, people fall in love. Yes, <laughs> and dance, and it leads them and... to romance, which is a good rhyme for dance. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> Hyperventilating think, because I'm thinking about the rhymes in the show. Oh. Um, I mean, listen, when life could not be drearier. What makes dispositions cheerier? Dancing, dancing, the banjo. Well, and so here's the thing. That's one of the sets of lyrics. But they've rewritten this song a couple times. And at one point, that lyric isn't banjos dancing the banjos, which at least makes a little sense. What Uh leads you to romance? Maybe dancing to a song with banjos in it. Yeah? Yes. That makes sense. One of the versions of the song, the answer to what leads you to romance is just simply banjos, nothing Uh but banjos, implying (laughs) that the most romantic instrument in the world is just the banjo. Absolutely. I'm I'm moved. Gosh. And like the thing the 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 song starts it's sung by Lon. It's so that Lon can have a song to sing cuz Lon's it's, it's yes, it's Lon's like a nothing ca- Exactly. This is the Shapoopy. Um and at least in the revised version it happens when Shapoopy happens. Um, <laughs> but in in the like the intro verse his thesis is, and I only know this because I had to listen to it so many times. I know. I'm but his so thesis is basically like, if you're down, if you're feeling blue, there's mm-hmm. one thing that'll cure it. And mm-hmm. they found this cure at Princeton and Yale. Scholarly college people have discovered there is only one cure for boredom and dreariness. The banjo. Get ready for a five-minute song about banjos. Yes. No, well, that, that's it. And... In the licensable version, it isn't banjos. 
it is the banjo. It's the banjo. And that's, that's crucial. Um, yeah, because, I mean, I feel like they're they're trying to make it one of these, like, uh, you know, the juggernaut yeah. wild party. Yeah. That can, you know, here's, oh, the, the banjo? Yeah, let's do the banjo. Right. You know what I mean? But there's no, like... Uh, wave your arm in the air, then put it to the ground. Right. Turn around three times. It's just like, yeah. spin a lot, and then you'll fall in love. Yeah. Do you know... And as a choreographer, uh huh, that ain't great. Can I tell you? you yes. No one knows how to choreograph this song. <laughs> <laughs> no. Not not at all, because is it country? Is it... And is it and what do you do? There's nothing to do. There's no content. Um, there's n- No. There's nothing. And... The worst part, as written and staged, there are no banjos. So, I was going to ask you this. Uh-huh. Listening to it, or listening certainly to banjos. So... I don't know about the banjo. Certainly in the recording, you hear banjos playing in the orchestra pit. Some. Some are mandolins. Uh-huh. And one is synth. And so then, when my <laughs> high school reduced orchestra did it... Right. There was just no banjo. Just all said. It was well, just no. It was just a piano. Like we had other things, but the closest thing. It, there was it, no patch. It, it, was, it was an acoustic piano. Great. Like it just doesn't make any sense. That um, really doesn't make any sense. Anyway, I could rant about the banjo song for hours. Uh-huh. Um, so anyway, that would you say that's your least favorite? Well. I would say it is... Or is that a personal vendetta? <laughs> it's a personal vendetta, certainly. I think that is an epitome, or a, a, a good um, encapsulation of many of the problems with the songs they've added to this show. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. It's perhaps the, the worst uh, offender of some of those same things. But, like, they had a song I... that's supposed to happen during Halloween time called Ghosties and Ghoulies. Um <laughs> That is like a ridiculous specter ballet. Yes. Now, the, the, it, originally when I saw this, I cringed a little bit because it was like, ghosties and ghoulies, what the hell is going on? And there is, okay, they're Irish. Yes. And that makes a bit yes. more sense. Katie, so not... Katie the cook sings it. Um, yes. And it's it's supposed to be, it happens around Halloween time, which in the Broadway version happens in Act 1. And Tootie is, you know, contemplating being a little dick on halloween um like she is but then is kind of haunted by all her dolls and it's a weird from my understanding it's a weird kind of like you're having a hunch susical style spooky evil doll ballet um yes i only this is just what i've kind of guessed from the recording because it's not in the licensable version just flat out cut um, I think, yeah, it's just the idea of, like, spooky things. It's Tevye's nightmare. Yeah. It's, you know, it's just like, ooh, I'm a child and I'm scared. Yeah. And it's vital to the plot. Um, Tommy, I'm going to go out on a limb uh-huh. here. I think this is the, like this musical contains the worst lyrics I've ever heard in a piece of musical theatre. I think that's fair. This was nominated for a Tony. For this was score. nominated for a couple Tonys, um, and not like I was looking. Uh, City of Angels, Aspects of Love, Grand Hotel, Meet Me in St. Louis. There were other things that were fine. I didn't win for anything, of course. Uh, yeah, but it wasn't like a terrible year. 
no, it's a very good year. Yeah. Like, how the hell did it get a nomination? And like, did it get nominated mm. for "Have Yourself a Merry right. Little Christmas" in the trolley song? Yeah, did it? And get- also, actually, yeah. Uh, to take that back, the actual music, mm-hmm. the music, the orchestration, and the um, just general arrangement isn't bad at all. No, there's lots of just great technical stuff about this show. The lyrics are abysmal. Right? Yes. 100%. Ab- abysmal. Let me just... we You love a rhyme. Tell me some of your least favourites. Every... I could go through any... Give me a song. Uh, give me a song. There'll ooh. be a least... Not, none of the, the big two. Yeah, Don't, okay. You trick me up there. Uh, give me a new song. Uh, uh... I kind of like A Touch of the Irish, but what don't you like about A Touch of the Irish? Well, okay, that's not as bad, but yes, <laughs> give me a second. Um, let me just get to those lyrics. That's act opening of Act 1, right? Um, act 2, sorry. It's in the beginning of Act 2. Yes, okay. Um, well, here's... This is, this is I feel like, so... Um, oh my goodness, I was just gifted a rhyming dictionary for my birthday. <laughs> oh no. Um, I'm going to become a songwriter and write Meet Me in St. Louis the musical, then praise him, gently daze him, simply amaze him with compliments. That makes no sense. Oh, that one with compliments. That makes no sense. Sure. <laughs> let me just let me just return you to then praise him, gently daze him, simply amaze him with just being a bit Irish, you know? <laughs> um that that would be my ones of that one. The ones that made me laugh out loud where um where is the Mr. and Mrs. Smith love ballad? Wasn't it fun? Wasn't it fun? So, let me. I'm just going to quote. Oh, my rhyming dictionary's back. Thank goodness. I can't really be bothered looking up many pages, so I'll look up like three. Rain and sun, sun and rain, tears and laughter, joy and pain. Sun and rain, rain and sun, lifetimes, and I'll just repeat lifetimes rolled into one. Now, yes. if I was writing a song in the 1900s mm. that yes. is for a children's book... Yes. Lulu, skip to my Lou. Lulu, skip to my Lou. Absolutely. Fine. Because easy to remember for a child. Yes. If I am writing a musical and I'm writing a love duet... Mm. In the between late 80s. In the late 80s, I can't get away with this. Yeah. I I don't disagree with you. I do want to counter with one of the most popular songs in this show, taken from the movie, is the trolley song. Yes. Which is... I know what you're going to counter with. Yes, hit me with it. Is basically the wheels on the bus go uh-huh. round and round, right? Clang, 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 went the trolley... Ding, 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 went the bell. Zing, 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 yes. on my heartstrings. Which I will say is still cleverer than uh, uh, Wasn't It Fun. Um, exactly. But only just. Um, yeah. I I do know what you mean, but it, it's for me, that is just, it's an award-winning song. Yes. Because the, the way that the lyrics fit in 
with the perfect yes and refrain. the and the verses are great too like the verses yes. are intelligent and clever and yeah and it tells a story paints a picture yes and it's all nice and you know it, it's it's good fun yes. it's a lot of fun um so what what was happening why was he nailing it in the 40s and then 50 years later i mean he but you'd think, like, so for example, Arthur Lawrence directed Gypsy, That's the fair. best he had ever directed it, yeah. in 2008, yeah. when he was about to die. Yeah, no, that's fair. It is, the, the, the existence... And we know for a fact that this had obviously been happening a long time because many people died right. before it even it before, existed. Like they've been working on it, yeah. No, it is so fascinating, <laughs> the existence of this show. Utterly fascinating, and it got nominated for a Tony. Like, for goodness' sake! Well, it a couple of them are deserved. If you look, we'll put it in the show notes. But the Tony clip of some of the uh, choreography, the choreography, yes. is very, very good. Um, like they do a bit of uh, banjos. Um, they don't do any of the lyrics. They just do the dance, <laughs> which I think one was them, intentional. Yeah, um, but it's one of the many dance breaks that they could choose from. But yes. it's great. Um, you know, like this is a. You know, as we joked earlier, how do you choreograph the banjo song? And Mm -hmm. the answer is, like, you just make it look cool and you don't worry about the content. Yes, exactly. Um, I, yeah, I just find it really baffling, especially because it was up against City of Angels, which I personally think is some of the best lyric writing in music theatre. Oh, for sure. I disagree. But, like, compared to this, trite. Oh, yes. Oh, it's so terrible. Tripe, not trite. That's the wrong word. Um, (laughs) It's really bad yeah um i don't get i just don't get it um and yeah i'm happy to say that i think this is like i'm yeah. I'm excited for people to send me other shows that are like actually these are the worst lyrics and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, fair. but remember we did a few of those unsung heroes yes and, and i'm happy to say that they were all better they than were this. better than this i think that's fair too i do think it is it is really interesting to look at how they tried to fix this show for the licensable version. Yeah. And I can't... So my my initial thought was, because a lot of times... And, like, Disney talks about this, too. They did it with The Little Mermaid. Um, mm-hmm. Little Mermaid kind of flopped on Broadway. And then they went in and did some pretty hefty rewriting and restructuring to create both a tour and a licensable version that is more tolerable. Um, yeah, I think it certainly has some of the original flaws, but like they fixed a bunch of them. Yeah, and they did it so it could go on tour because they're going to make money from that. Yeah, Mimi in St. Louis, far as I can tell, had no marketed tours. Like the Broadway production only ran for like ran for two hundred fifty performances. Um, mm-hmm. Not too great for you know, a 41 person cast with a huge orchestra and a big set. Like I'm sure they didn't, yeah. like I'm sure technically flopped. I'm sure they yeah. didn't make it back. Um, yeah. And no one's chomping at the bit to then tour that. So I'm baffled first by the choice to revise it anyway, instead of to just kind of let it peter out, especially with the only surviving listed author being 90. Um, yep. Like who, who, who? Who's, who? Who's still driving the St. Louis truck? I know. And like, 
yeah, it is. It's the fact that they revised it which confuses me because if it was just the producer, right, it'd just be like, well, that was a flop. Let's get it into schools. Because the thing is, it's like the way it was on Broadway. Yeah. you could put it in schools you and it'd be absolutely schools, fine. It'd be fine. Yeah, exactly. It would be no worse for many schools that do it than the current version. Except the current version is a little better, but it doesn't have to be. The schools that do it are doing it for Have Yourself a Little Memory, a Little Christmas, and the trolley song. Uh, Uh, Completely. You know. Um, Yeah. So I have no idea. And does anyone out there know? Like, I I mean, so I have a a theory. (sighs) Oh. And it is unsubstantiated. It could be bunnies. bunnies. Um, I'm glad you got that. Good. I Uh, I didn't. I just repeated what you said. Oh, okay. (laughs) That's a musical theater reference. It could be bunnies. It's from uh, Once More With Feeling, the Buffy the Vampire Slayer musical episode. Ah, I liked how you punctuated your uh, your (laughs) sentence with that gong you keep next to you. (laughs) (laughs) Just for some chimes, just relaxing meditative (laughs) chimes. Uh, Um, Yes. No, I have a theory. It's not bunnies. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how much this would have made it to the UK, but Jimmy, have you heard about the Muni? I know quite a lot about the Muni, yes. I have okay. a friend who's from... Uh, tell me, so, tell me so, what yeah. you know about the Muni. Um, the Muni does outdoor productions. Yes, they have an, yep. out, an outdoor... I think amphitheater is the most appropriate term. Right. Um, and kind of put on quite big scales, very limited engagement shows. And it's, it's iconic. It's iconic. It is a huge um, theater space. They seat 11,000 people. Wow, um, I didn't know that. It That's is insane. huge in every way. Um, right. Like the stage is gigantic. Um, and the thing was founded. Do you know when the Muni was founded, Jimmy? 19... 19- 44? I don't know. 1989? 1917. Wow. So a hugely historic venue as well. And Uh the Muni, technically short for the St. Louis Municipal Opera Theater. Yeah. And every 25, 50, or 100 years or so, the Mm -hmm. Muni performs Meet Me in St. Louis. Wow. Or rather, like, it was their centennial thing. Like, I don't think they've had that many opportunities to do it. But when they want to pull something out that it feels commemorative, of course they pull out Meet Me in St. Louis, right? What Uh other show would you possibly do? Yeah. And... I mean, I would say you would do a chorus line. Right. Because one of the characters in that... Is from St. Louis. It's, and I feel like that's more of a nice And because it's better. And, and don't get me wrong, the Muni has made quite the number of missteps um, <laughs> in some casting choices and literature choices over the years um, that we don't need to get into here, but you should Google yes. if you're interested. Um, we certainly have in previous podcasts. Yes, so that's go, fair. Go hunting for them. Um, but I am like... In bits and pieces, I've, like, you know, it'll be like a a press release about the performance of Meet Me in St. Louis at the Muni, and it'll have, like, a a throwaway line about, like, with newly revised lyrics um, or something, right? Yeah. And I wonder if that, like, if they're driving the Meet Me in St. Louis trolley. Potentially. If, like, that, they, because they certainly have the force by which to make these changes. Um, (laughs) 
Yeah, definitely. Um, but unsubstantiated, 100%. I found nothing I know. to, you know, back that up. I know. Like, because, yeah, I mean, I don't know how the estate works. Yeah. But, and I don't know whose estate it would technically be in. It's so, yeah, it's Tam's, Be- in, in the U.S., it's Tam's Whitmark is the licensing agency, uh-huh. and it appears they handle both, or at least involved in pro and amateur and regional productions. Um, right. Not that anyone's chomping at the bit to do this on Broadway anytime soon. Right. But. Um, so I have, yeah, I just don't know. I don't know who's, who is the person kind of keeping this alive. Maybe it could be the Muni. That seems weird. Right. You know, but then also, like, could they commission someone to come in and just revamp the lyrics? Yeah, and how do you do that? It's so, you, yeah. like, there there must be some weird contractual, like, lack of obligations in here. The fact that they can, you know, you you can look at my Crazy Man board in the show notes, but the extent to which they rearranged songs in this show... Yeah. Like, we're not talking small changes. We're not talking adding a penny in my pocket to the beginning of Act Two of Hello Dolly. Like, right. it's all over the place. You know, they like all of Halloween moves from Act One to Act Two between yeah. versions. The banjos. Yeah. The banjos shifts from like early in the show to near the very end. They cut exactly. what was the like finale songs, Paging Mr. Sousa, which are on the cast recording, are not yep. a part of the licensed materials at all, which apps, yep. which cuts like wholly cuts uh, Alonzo the Father's solo. Yeah. He instead has um, A Day in New York, which is really a big family song that he has a couple solos in. Um, yeah. Like whole like big broad stroke changes um yeah so i don't understand is if they can be that freewheeling with hugh wheeler's funny um book uh-huh. why can't they be so freewheeling with um what's your chops as lyrics yeah you know and i'm not saying actually no i think if the lyrics were better <laughs> It could be quite a good show. Potentially. I mean, that is, I think that's one of the sad parts of the show. And like the reason high schools do it is because it's really wholesome, you know, just like the movie. Oh, is. There's, there's no objectionable content. Um, like this is exactly as close to sex as any high school ever wants to get and no further. Yeah. Um, yep. Like, oops, we kissed once. Um <gasps> Like yeah. that's as much romance as they want, you know. No one, no one drinks in the show. No one dies in the show. Like it's American as apple pie. Yeah. Like this, this is a show that will not get you in trouble. One hundred percent. Exactly. Which, like, there's a huge place for that in, uh, you know, amateur and high school musical theater for sure. Like yeah. that's that's important, yeah. but it just doesn't quite get there. And I think like no. that's that's the the struggle I have in my mind is like. Is it a is it a fool's errand because the movie is a movie musical with a thousand different locations and centered around and like a, a serialized version of a family without much of a climax to talk about um, that's just kind of like days in the life chapters through the day um, yeah. you know an intimate study of that which doesn't lend itself to the musical theater context or is it the lyrics and like fixable things. I know. Yeah, I, I do wonder. The, just the movie is, I just feel like the movie is so iconic and very enjoyable. Yeah. But like iconic and enjoyable and in a way that like no one's going to fanboy over. 
right? Like, yeah, you know, you're not going to cut the trolley song, but no one's going to be like, oh, you didn't have this pivotal moment in the thing. Yeah. How dare you? That's the center. You know, like the comic book nerd isn't going to come out and yell at you about something yeah. that changed in this. So there's plenty of flexibility to adapt it to the stage. It just it seems like such a swing and a miss in like a really, really dissatisfying way. Totally. Yeah, I think it's the, it's a shame because, like I say, the music is good. There's far too many dance breaks. Yes, uh, that's silly. Yes, um, and it's uh, you know actually that's something I kind of wanted to talk about. Is obviously it's weird to brought up Forty Second Street quite a lot, but they they are linked because mm. they're four years apart. Yeah, um, the the dance breaks in Forty Second Street compared to the dance breaks in this, mm-hmm. I think, just make more sense because with 42nd street they are written to be like dance breaks they're just flashy yeah like that is they're written to be flashy well and they're they are you know like diegetic or diegetic adjacent right kind of but even then sometimes not sometimes it's just pure heightened yeah love and joy yeah whereas with this i think you know i sit through uh, well, guess if I was sitting through the licensable version, I get to the banjo. I'm like, why are they dancing again? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, you've already danced every other song. Yeah. Well, why I, are you spending another three minutes doing it? I like, didn't even talk about. Do you know how we get into the banjos? Do you know how the banjos happens? Oh, do tell. <sighs> they say, apropos of nothing, hey kids, let's do the dance all the college kids are doing. Da dun da dun dun dun. Like no exaggeration, no joke. That's it. No, no, like yeah. Like out of nothing comes this dance song. Yeah, this dance song that doesn't exist. Yeah, which is why it was so easy to move it from the middle of Act One to the end of Act Two. Because like, who cares? Golly, Miss Molly, that is isn't that isn't that bonkers? Um, Yeah, that's bad. Yeah, I despair. I don't know. I I I don't know what would fix it because. So, say for example, mm-hmm. uh, I'm trying to think of someone who would be of that type that isn't Android Weber. Who else was writing musicals then in the eighties? In the eighties, not a lot. Say Cy Coleman. Okay, go okay. for Cy Coleman. There we go. If Cy Coleman took this mm-hmm. right and was like, "I love Meet Me in St. Louis." The work that Hugh Martin and Ralph Blaine did uh, was amazing. Mm-hmm. They've created one of the most iconic songs on earth. I would love to honor that legacy and flesh out this show. Yeah, what do you do with song? And I think what he would then do is write narrative-based music. Yes, well, and there's the I and like better narrative-based music because um, the the B plot, who the sister, who's not <laughs> Esther. Um, Rose. Rose. Um, with, uh, who's in love with the other boy. Wow. Uh, Warren. Warren. Um, yes. They have their song, Raving Beauty, um, <laughs> which is, is so trite. Um, and it's like, the, their whole relationship, like, is trying to be really funny in that B-plot kind of way. It's like, yeah. I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. Clearly, we're supposed to be in love. Um, yes. Which is a tried and true musical theater plot. Like, Absolutely. You know. And uh, uh, 
Warren has a very funny line, which is taken from the movie, but I think more appropriate in the musical. We're at the very end after like Alonzo says, we're not going to New York and oh, hooray. And like Warren runs in and goes like, Rose Smith, I intend to marry you and there's nothing you can do about it. And I don't want to hear another word. And then he turns to leave and turns around and goes and Merry Christmas and then leaves. Yes. And then Alonzo Smith goes, who is that man? Um, Which is good script writing. That's very funny. Um, And like, you need to take those, like those three elevated plot points, right? Esther and John, Rose and Warren, will they, won't they? And then Mm -hmm. are we going to go to New York and how is this going to pan out for everyone? Yeah. And those all need to be elevated and more, and we need to feel them more. Yes, there just needs to be more stakes. Yeah, um, which I think is hard to do when your stakes are like fluffy teenage girl drama. Love, yeah, I know. which which I don't mean to downplay. Like I th- I think that can be. You know, I teach I teach high schoolers, and one of the things one of our school counselors says all the time is like, yeah, you know, teenagers have puppy love, but puppy love is real to puppies. Like, yeah, this yeah. this is the end of the world to them. Yeah. And you as an adult understand that it is not the end of the world, but like yeah. they're not going to get that yet. Um and like something that could take you into that world a little bit more. Um but you know, that's hard cuz how old was Judy Garland when she was in this movie and how old was she playing? Uh <sighs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um yeah, I don't know. <sighs> yeah. And but then I'm also like do I want anyone to fix it? I know. Does it does it need to exist? Right. Does it say anything worthwhile? Does it bring anything or, back that we don't want to bring back? Exactly. Or can I just stick on the movie and have a wonderful time? And let the, and let the movie because that is the difference between I think and I'm sure we've talked around it in a thousand different ways, but that's one of the fundamental differences between say a movie musical and a stage musical is mm-hmm. that the movie musical will always exist as a product of its time. And yes. like doesn't need to apologize for that. Certainly no, might have not. done things wrong that we see as, you know, inappropriate or short sighted or whatever now, but you can yes. still forgive it for being what it was then. Unlike exactly. a general sense. But because of the like readaptation nature of musical theater, once you recontextualize it into a contemporary context, there's an additional responsibility there. And, you know, I don't know if we need that around maybe in St. Louis. No, and I think that's something we should talk about right now. Here we go. Tell him you're captured, bewitched, and enraptured whenever you look in his eyes. If that doesn't get him completely upset him, no matter how lovely you look, why tell him you know how to cook? (laughs) And if all else fails, and he takes the wind right out of your sails, lead him to romance in a genuine Irish dance. Come on now, you know this one. Nice luncheon. Hey 
guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is actually a big thing. Yeah. Um, because who really, who's going to be wailing in the back row if they don't sing Under the Bamboo Tree? Oh, man. I had so many conversations about this song, Jimmy. Yeah, I imagine. Um, and uh, like complicating the manner, the matter. Our our tutti was played by a, a black senior. Um, Great, which you know also a senior. Yeah, well, she's a, a wonderful actress, great actress, very short, dinky, um, excellent. Yeah, <laughs> and and was an amazing tutti. Like good. She, I mean, it's such a fun part. Like yeah, you'd have like, the best time. More more than Esther, Tootie was the one who made you cry during Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Great. Yeah, um, and absolutely. Like, the lead into that about like you don't get to see the snowman, um, which is kind of pivotal to the plot in the movie about like we can't take the snowman with and that's what triggers her being sad about like we're not gonna yes. take our life with and you get to see the snowman and get to see Tootie beat up on the snowman in the movie but you just have to kind of watch her think about that on stage um and that that's hard Um, yeah absolutely and she did a fantastic job um and we had the really tough conversation about what do we do around under the bamboo tree yeah which is i i i have looked for this it is it is a minstrel song um mm-hmm. of the day they would have called it a coon song that's an offensive yep. term now don't say that um yep. and you know this comes from the tradition of blackface of white vaudevillian performers putting on blackface and pretend like taking upon what is supposed to be an affected african-american accent and performing what is supposed to be african-american songs and literature and of course it isn't and of course it's racist um like as a conceit um but its inclusion in the show its inclusion in the movie is a a difficult circle to square yeah um completely I just think you can just cut it. Well, what we ended up, I mean? what we ended up doing, um, yeah, because the difficulty with just cutting it, yeah, Tootie loses a song, <laughs> and we're in a high school, and you want to give everyone the performance opportunity they have, and yeah. One of the positive things about this show in general as a high school musical is kind of everyone gets their own star turn. Um, just a, like Katie's got a song, Esther's got a song, Rose yeah. has a song. Like everyone's got a song. Um, a lot of them suck, but they have a song, um, and that's harder to find in some shows. Like this is why it's Definitely. like I I see why this is a good High School Musical. A bunch of strong yeah. female roles. Like there's stuff there that like ticks a lot of boxes. Yeah. Um, but Bamboo Tree being a problematic one. The thing we did, which was kind of a halfway solution, and I still. Like I'm glad we just I'm glad we didn't just perform it in full. Um, mm-hmm. What we did was we cut the verse. 
So it's just the if you like a me and I like a you and we like a both the same. Okay. I like to say this very day. I like to change your name because I love you and love me too. And if you love me, one lives as two, two lives as one under the bamboo tree. Okay, yes. And it, it is kind of a balancing of the like racist nature of this whole thing because it is still in that, you know, affected minstrel, uh, 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 you know, dialect accent. Um, dialect is probably a more appropriate term. Um, yes. And um, then, like, that's offensive and wrong. But doesn't explicitly have, you know, down in the jungles lived a maid of royal blood, though dusky shade, right? Exactly. It is not explicitly that. Um, uh. But, and this was one of the further complicating things, um, <laughs> when you do some research into the song Under the Bamboo Tree, which is uh-huh. contemporaneous to when the show is set. It was written in... Mm, 1901 or 1902 okay um and it's hard to find like really supportive stuff for this because it comes from a non-documented part of american history but there are some documents that say that this was actually one of the first minstrel songs written by black authors oh interesting right um and like Kind of, which happened a lot. Which happened a lot towards, uh-huh. and is like a you know somewhere between a taking back and acceptance of this as a thing. Like it doesn't feel totally right, um, but is an interesting. It was an opportunity that uh-huh, otherwise might not have existed. Exactly, yep. and you know an opportunity for authorship and performance, and like is you know creatively maladjusting into a racist world, um, yep. which isn't right, but happened. Um, yep, means to an end, but like. Man, that's a long director's note to put in the program about like a two minute song. Um, yeah. Like, and like, you're probably going to do more harm by even just trying to explain that. I know. I um, know. But we. Because mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like it. And I don't know if it's just from me growing up watching the film. Yeah. But people know that song. Yeah. It's, it's a song. Do you know what I mean? Like, People a hundred percent. They don't know the verse. No, I completely agree, and that can be snipped right out. Nobody gives a crap. Yeah. Um, but yeah, people know that song, and it um, and it is like one of the other difficult things about it is like there are much more offensive minstrel songs. Yeah. The beyond the existence of this as a minstrel song and some of the hallmarks it has as a minstrel song between the dialect and some of the references to you know what what white people term african words um yep beyond that it's a it's a love song it's exactly it's a wholesome sweet love song at its content um yeah and is only offensive when put in its broader context yep which and you're doing a cakewalk to it right and you're you're doing a cakewalk to it and you're wrapping it in this musical where these characters are singing a contemporaneous song from their time. Yeah. You know, it's a, p- a piece of history, good or bad. Yeah. Um, like, as a complex thing. It's not a thing that I think many other high school performances even think about when it comes to the song, which is unfortunate. Um, there's certainly no, you know, they don't try to uh, uh, apologize for it in the way that, like, Thoroughly Modern Millie does in its libretto. Um, right. Or some of the other, you know, more uh, 
racist hallmarks of older musical theater that like they have some explan- explanatory text in the libretto. There's nothing exactly. for this one. Um, and there's nothing, I, you know, I mean, there's nothing ironic about it. Like I'm thinking like Drowsy Chaperone. Right. Where it's like so tongue in cheek, it's crazy. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, there's nothing like that. Uh, but there's also no explanation. Right. It's just done yeah. because it's done. It's done because it's done. It's along the lines of the, I think the, contemporary discourse that kind of pops up online about like mm. is it okay for white people to do covers of rap songs you know performed by black people you know yeah. like involving the n-word or something like that yeah. um th- th- this has a, a kind of a similar flavor to it but totally tainted by the 40s about the aughts <laughs> yeah um so it is it's certainly you know like this is the 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 plus and the minus of doing these things in a high school context. While the actual decision was very complex and difficult to make, the discussions yes. centered around it involving high schoolers are like super rewarding and super important um, mm-hmm. because you get to kind of explore these issues and talk about these things. Um, you know, very very real, very historical things. Um, Absolutely. And then that makes it honest too. Like you know, talking to the kids and being like, "What do you think we should do?" Mm-hmm. Um, which is cool. That's why I like teaching. Yeah, I really, really like that. Um, yeah, and I think it's I think it's interesting because there's no other like overtly racist things in yeah, the show. No, Do I mean, especially for a show of that time. Yeah, certainly. Um, I mean, like it is it is a very white show in its yes, existence. It's, exactly, it's very Music Man. Yes, but, like, but then even I feel like even Music Man feels more racist. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, there's not a there's no of that kind of like cultural closed mindedness that I think even the music man has, um, uh-huh. where like, yes. the music man is not overtly racist, but like some of the way those people act, you can be like, Oh, Marishin, I bet you you're racist. Like it's not, yeah. a, it's not a character trait that like we're going to explore in the show, but like, I could just assume that like everyone you meet in this show seems like a wholesome, well-meaning person. With, exactly. You know, I, I, I hear the other side of my head being like, yes, but also, you know, the young girls are terrible, terrible people, um, which makes their parents terrible, terrible people. Yeah. In a different way, I think. Exactly. Um, no, uh, I think, yeah, you're right about Music Man. Music Man feels more like it's a town of xenophobes. Yes. Yes. Do you know I mean, some of whom change their mind, some of whom don't. Yeah. Uh, by the end. Yeah. Um, whereas this, xenophobia isn't even on the map. Right. It's just, it is... You know, and like, is is that ignoring it, or is that just like we want to tell a story that doesn't include that? Like, that's the yeah to make. And well, I, do, I think the mm. the good thing to do is then to cast a black girl as Tutti. Yeah, well, and there, you I know? mean, the the Muni hundredth uh, uh, or um, uh, century celebration centennial. That's it. Celebrational production, uh-huh. um, like. I think it's grandfather's black, but Alonzo's white, and you know Perfect. they they do that thing, which is awesome, um, and is yeah. what all contemporary performances of shows like this should do, one hundred exactly. And this is really very much a show that you can do it with. Yeah, no one would care. Right? Yeah, it's not hairspray where it just becomes confusing or ragtime. Like exactly. We talked about exactly. Um, which is great. Um, I do want to ask you on this topic of like this show today. How do you yeah. how do you feel about the representation? This is a, a woman powerful show. 
<clears throat> it is. Um, I think it's quite interesting that we've recently sort of obviously spoke about women on the verge. Yeah. Um, and obviously we came to the idea at the end of that, that actually, you know, it's not the best, it's not the paragon, mm-hmm. um, but it, it really wasn't a bad place for women to be in music theater. Mm-hmm. This one I think is so tricky yeah. because of the time period. Yeah. Um, and the, the women are very much fixed in their time period. Yes. But I also think they're very powerful for their time period. Like, can you imagine a world where Esther Smith can run across the block to the other house and, like, smack John Truitt in the face? Yes. And then leave. That's a good point. And then come back and he'll be like, well, I'm, I'm sorry for whatever I did. Um, like... They're, the women in this have a lot of power, you know, like they um, – Esther and Rose have that discussion before the dance about like, well, there will be 20 boys there. Do you think you could handle 10 and I could handle 10? Um, uh-huh. Which like that's the kind <laughs> yeah, of – that's the kind of like talking point we would give to male characters without batting an eyelash, right? Yeah. And feel – and in the 40s felt surprising and novel because it's two girls preparing for this dance, right? Yeah. Um. And also, certainly, they're, like, living within their time period. Like, you know, we, I can only continue to live with you if we get married. Or, like, there's a bunch of hallmarks of that, certainly. Um, but, you know, it's an interesting... Yeah, I think I've, my only reluctance is just because it is very much all about love. Yes. And, it, you know, I mean, that's their MO is, is love and safety. Right. And safety via man. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Like, dad, keep us safe. Right. And, like, I um, I couldn't possibly kiss you first. I'm just going to ask you to help me turn the lights yes. off every night until you finally get wise. Yes. And there is quite a lot of, you know, for example, you've got a mighty strong grip for a girl. Right. There's a lot of that in it um, that is kind of accepted. Yes. Just, like, the, the baseline sexism of you know whether it's the 40s or the aughts um, and the song that was originally on broadway oh god thankfully did it make its way into uh why was that written oh the song jimmy's talking about is called anything but a girl um this was when my my director at my school proposed the show to me and i hadn't quite put together that like we both hadn't quite put together that there was a new version of this but we were exploring mm-hmm. a bunch of options and i got to that song and i was like there is no way there's no way we can perform this song. Um, no way. If you haven't heard it, it's uh, it's Tootie and Grandpa. Um, and Tootie is lamenting to Grandpa that, like, if she's reincarnated, she hopes she's reborn as anything but a girl. Because how terrible it is in life to be a girl. And for what it's worth, Grandpa has a line that's like, oh, I've hated being a man. I wish I could be. And, you know, who knows? Because Grandpa kind of talks in sarcasm the entire show. Um, yeah. But it's it's this it's this boppy like um, put on a happy face style like do a jazz square kind of anything but a girl you know yeah like it, it there's no sardonicism in it at all no that it, it's not ironic yeah it's because I was waiting for the the punchline I was waiting for the but do you know that actually being a girl is a great opportunity because... Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, there was nothing exactly. like that. It was just like, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. And like, <laughs> it's, you know, in, in the original writing of the show, it's 
it's basically the first song, right? We get Meet Me in St. Louis, which we expect. And then yeah. this is in in the structure of traditional musical theater, the song that's supposed to like set you up for the idea of the show. And so we're set up like, man, how terrible it is to be a girl. Let's follow these girls around now. Like Exactly. Exactly. Being you know, girl like it, it's so peculiar where yeah. the hell was that written yeah Ooh, i mean and i think it explains a lot i mean i, I think, think it's it because, a lot because hugh martin was 90 um, i think so i absolutely think so and he was like huh must be crap <laughs> <laughs> they'll love this do you know what i mean yeah. like they'll love this this will become like the the feminism yeah power chance oh god it's so yeah, there's so many missteps in this show. Yes. Uh, yeah, I don't think it's a great representation of women. No. Um, you know the parts are the parts I would say are actually quite good, and it'd be good fun to play. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'd totally give you that. Yes. Um, but you're not gonna feel like you've yeah. made a statement. No, this is not one to you know parade around women's rights exactly no it's not and you know that's it's from the source material there's right. i don't think there's there, there's no getting around that. certainly and, um, it, and, it and is, actually what mm-hmm. the the thing interesting thing to think about is the fir- the very first origin of meet me in st louis uh is it was written it was a book written by an autobiographical account mm-hmm. of a woman's life yeah you know what i mean written by her and she was quite involved in the film. Yeah, and um, rooted in reality. And certainly, if we're just talking about it in like a 1903-1904 context, chronicles, I think, some you know very powerful, very strong women for their mm-hmm. day. Yeah. But that's the problem with recontextualizing it more than 100 years later. Exactly. Um, but, yeah. Yeah. And just the lyrics are god awful. And the lyrics so are just... so bad. <laughs> They're so bad. Not just phony, not just fake, oh. not just lower than a snake. Oh, they're so they're so bad. What does that mean? They're so so bad. Not just wayward, not just bad, not just all kinds of a cad. I just we did despair to my director's credit and I adore him and he did a fantastic yes. job with the show um, during a touch of the Irish, which takes place uh-huh. at the beginning of act two. It's Halloween. We had spent the whole show watching grandpa. His home base was one table in the corner of the house where he was working on a puzzle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The lights come up and sitting in grandpa's chair. is a skeleton wearing grandpa's hat because it's Halloween. <laughs> This man's a genius. It's really funny. <laughs> and then, and there's a bunch of like jack-o'-lanterns carved and the whole thing is about like, here's what you do to convince the men. And they dance with the skeleton and they dance with the jack-o'-lantern about the, like, it was a very clever staging. For, that is good. For one of the the better new songs in the show. Yes, I would give you that. That's the one I would listen to again. Yeah, A Touch of the Irish is fun. It's, it's... It's a good. I think if I could play any character in the show, I would want to play Katie, the cook. Yeah, sure. She's fun. Yeah, I, I no, but do you know what's weird? Is I'm like, no, I'd want to play Esther. Nah, because 
No, but it's strange that I was just having this conversation about it not being a good representation of women. But I actually really love her as a character. But then I'm like, is it just because I love Judy Garland? <laughs> uh, the gay dilemma. The gay dilemma. So true. <laughs> um, yes. So yes, okay. That's that's what I've understood. I want to be Judy Garland. Yes. You know, Oprah says, put it out in the world and maybe it'll happen. That is the secret. And took a seat. He said he hoped he hadn't stepped upon my feet. He asked my name. I held my breath. I couldn't speak because he scared me half to death. Bumps, bumps, bumps with the buzzer. Jimmy was meet me in St. Louis. We didn't actually discuss this. St. Louis, St. Louis. I know. I was. I was going to ask. I always got chastised for just calling it meet me in St. Louis when referring to the show. Explicitly yeah. speaking, we had decided that we were going to call it meet me in St. Louis when talking yeah. about the show. Um, I think it is because I've only ever heard it called that by anyone, right? Professional. Um, so, but the song I is, will always call it Meet Me in St. Louis. And that's the song. And, and you yeah, know, hey. I got a cousin and he spells it the same way and he pronounces it Louis. Uh, well, there you go. <laughs> to the point where, as well, when we did a chorus line and when the person from St. Louis, uh, who is it? I can't remember, um, said it, I was like, no, 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 <laughs> it's St. <Saint> Louis. <laughs> and I got laughed at. Just like, like that? Fine. <laughs> Yeah. Yes, just like that. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, Tommy, what's what are we going to be doing next week? Well, I have a quiz question know. for you. You ready? <gasps> I'm ready. One of the most iconic songs in this musical was inspired by the polio vaccine. <laughs> what show? Hmm. That's a good one. I have no idea. It's a good one. If you would like to get in touch with us, you absolutely can. Our show Twitter is at Jim and Tomic, or you can join in our Reddit discussion. Our links are in our show notes in your podcatcher right now, or you can head over to jimandtomic.com. And while you're there, you can check out our Patreon if you'd like to financially support the show. Thank you to all of our current Patreons. You all mm, are love. You are scholars and saints. Um, also, as always, reviews on Apple Podcasts are super helpful to any podcast, especially ours. If you like us, let us know. Absolutely. Um, and most of all, it really helps us out when you tell all of your lovely friends about the show. Uh, people really only find out about our show through word of mouth. And you are all our mouths. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, that's all. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.
I just thought with shot glasses and hot asses. <laughs> it's a shame because I love that. I know. That's fun. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Jumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Jumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.